program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. East police on our side, attention on our side, broadcast 119, regarding a series of thefts in the jet room at the spiny Texas ranch. Tonight's two crime story comes from Arizona, and at the same time comes confirmation of a new contract Place for the largest county in Arizona, Maricopa County. Specifying that for another year, all sheriff's cars, all emergency cars operated by the county, are to be powered exclusively with Rio Grande cracked gasoline. This is a striking endorsement of the superiority of Rio Grande. In other cities, such as Los Angeles, Oakland, Berkeley, they also specify Rio Grande cracked for all police cars because it operates so efficiently in city traffic conditions. It gives quicker stopping, faster acceleration, and creates greater power and speed than any other gasoline diesel is combined. But road conditions are entirely different in Maricopa County, Arizona, where sheriff's cars speed over an area of 9,000 square miles in pursuit of criminals and on official business, traveling mountainous roads, over scorching deserts, where temperatures often reach 130 degrees. Under these trying conditions, real grand cracked gasoline shows its superiority. The patented exclusive real brand of cracking process creates a gasoline with definite advantages over other brands. A gasoline which is more economical and more efficient than any other. A statement which is proved by the fact that more police and emergency cars specify real brand of gasoline than any other brand. And now is our great pleasure to present former Captain M. Joe Murphy. Now, Detective Sergeant, in charge of the Bronco squad of the Phoenix, Arizona Police Department, and he will open our broadcast. Sergeant Murphy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Chief C.M. Johnson, my superior, is prevented by his official duties from appearing on tonight's broadcast. So he has requested me to print up for him. He places me in a rather peculiar position, inasmuch as the story you're about to hear is one that I saw myself. There is nothing bloody or exciting about this case. No guns were fired and no lives were threatened. But then, a police officer's life is not all violent. Sometimes he is encountered in cases which are downright amusing. And of all the cases on which I have worked during my 28 years as an officer, this story of the missing hundred-dollar nightgown, the missing hundred-dollar nightgown here can use him to me. I hope you will find it just as funny. One day, early in the spring of 1913, Chief of Police, A.J. Moore, of Phoenix, calls his eighth detective, Joe Murphy, into his office. Come on, Joe. Get your bag touched and come back here in a couple of hours. 
My services will cost you twenty dollars a day. You're drunk, but I'll stop you. I'll get you sober every minute. You haven't heard the rest of this deal yet. I don't like that room you've given me, Mr. Cutting. We're going to move here. The best suite on the right. There's a sort of a suite that Mr. Calvers Whitley has fired. There's a sort of a suite that I've been so pretty that I've got to. I'm not finished yet, Mr. Benton. You keep here in this luxurious style for 20 days. During that time, I will not touch a single drop of liquor. And if it's the end of the 10 days, I haven't captured your keys, and I'll go back to school if you don't know me as well. How about it? Two hundred dollars is cheap price for the reputation of your school grad. That's not one of them. I can't leave on a top of like that. I suppose you're wrong, Doctor. Come along, Mr. Dorsey. You're on. Well, you're a sensible man, Mr. Benton. I'll skip out of it. Now, that's the whole story, tell you. All I know is that somebody's been stealing things from the guest room. Now, why has this stolen? What is it, sir? Come on, let's have it open. Let's have it open. The search began about two weeks ago. Mr. Potter was the first to report anything missing. Well, where did he arrive? A half dozen pair of silk stockings and an expensive kimono. Oh, Mr. Potter wears silk stockings and kimono, is that? Not Mr. Potter. Mrs. Potter wears them. Oh, all right. Well, well, Mr. Potter, did you miss something? We are missing just $30,000 worth of valuables, of which Mr. Potter lost at least 5000 Still, we should by the guests, unless we be them. Oh, that sounds more like it. You say Mr. Potter is the heaviest loser, huh? Oh, did he put me into his sweet next to the The bridal suit next Mr. Potter. I'll tell you what. So, okay. Now, shut up, shut up. I'm giving orders. You have my luggage both to the bridal suite. And tell Mr. Potter to get up there right away. I want to talk to How do you like Jesus' accommodations? It's your church's Now, all I need is the bride. Everything in your contract. Oh, that's too bad. Come in. Oh, 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 Mr. Potter, come in, please. I want you to meet Mr. Murphy. Mr. Murphy is a detective. How do you do? Oh, Mr. Potter, can I draw you? Mr. Murphy is up here to try to solve our robbery, Mr. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, I hope I can count on your assistance, Mr. Potter. Oh, indeed. Uh, what can I do, sir? Well, in the first place, you wouldn't mind if I had the door unlocked between our streets, would you? Oh, no. Would you consider it necessary? Yes, I do. Uh, have you a costume, Mr. Benton? Yes, I do. Well, you might unlock that door between the streets and across the street. Hey, uh, Mr. Potter, uh, uh, what have you lost from your room? Well, I, uh, I heard about the silk stockings in the kimono. Uh, what else? Oh, my wife has lost a half dozen hundred dollar nightgown. A uh, hundred dollar nightgown? You, you mean each nightgown costs a hundred dollars? Well, uh, I know it's fine. Oh, oh, that's fine. Let's see. See, if I was sitting in this room facing the mirror over the fireplace like that, uh, uh, the inspector would uh, up the door between the scoops, yes. Uh, Mr. Benson, will you place that door slightly ajar? Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, I can see through the door to the mirror on the dressing table in the bedroom. And it reflects the entire living room. 
has become accustomed to the place, he opens the desk drawer, takes out a wallet, extracts the money it contains, and replaces it. Crosses to the dressing table. Removes a bottle of expensive perfume. Takes a half dozen lace handkerchiefs from one of the drawers and glides out of the suit and unruffled music. Pippi picks up his magazine, stepping to himself. That sees as the gorgeous and unimpeachable Countess Pearl. That night, Murphy breaks his custom and dines with the rest of the guests in the ranch dining room. But he sits at the table to one side and he eats very little, for his eyes are on the Countess Pearl, daily chatting with Dr. Jane, the house physician. Dinner over, the girl wandered down the path leading to the moon drenched desert. Murphy sounded along, just far enough behind him, not to be noticed. A slow quarter mile from the ranch house, Murphy senses that he was being followed. Just off the path behind a giant cactus. Coming down the path behind him was a little man in a huge ten gallon hat, carefully steering in all directions as he advances, gun drawn, steps by slow steps. When his shadow is abreast of the floor, Murphy suddenly stepped into the path in front of him. Yeah, what's the big idea? Are you following me? Well, uh, well, hey, uh, you better put that six shooter away when I get hurt. Uh, what's it all about? Who are you? I'm the deputy here at the ranch. Oh, you're the deputy, huh? Yeah, that's right. I heard of you. What can you probably have? Well, uh, what are you following me around for? Well, to tell the truth, you're under suspicion. This is speaking of what? We've been missing things around the ranch, and the boss told me to keep my eyes open for suspicious persons. And you sure look like a suspicious person to me. Hmm. You know, you're wasting your time as a deputy out here. You ought to go to Washington and join the secret service. Well, I'm studying for that. Oh, you're studying for that. It'd be nice when you get your diploma, won't it? Yeah, kind of. Well, uh, what do you do around here when there isn't any deputy to be done? Oh, I wrangle dudes for the boss in the daytime. And uh, following around with uh, nice little drum gun, eh? Oh, not all of them. Only up to your under suspicion. Uh, well, listen, Jeff. Uh, as long as you're picking up on suspicious things, uh, take a look down there in the wash and see if that doesn't arouse your suspicion. Huh? Well, let me run for a maverick if it ain't a doctor and a counter. Yeah. Looks to me like he's kissing us. Yeah, that's what they call it where I come from, too. Okay, ain't that a pretty sight? Uh, <laughs> I can see you only work laboratory care up here. Uh, you don't seem to be interested in the duties of the vice squad. Uh, come on, I'll walk back to that house with you. All right. I don't think we ought to interrupt the doctor and the counter to you. No, I don't think the counter will feel anything tonight. Oh, I think you're not looking. Detective Murphy, usually enjoying his private little joke, next morning instructs Mr. Carter to place some marked money in his billfold and leave it once more in the desk drawer. And it is sure to drop a remark within the count of hearing that he had forgotten. Towards the past noon, Murphy once more hears the door of the potter's seat open, looks up, sees the countess in the mirror. She takes the money plan from the wallet in the desk. Helps herself with a dozen pairs of silk stockings and a silver ashtray. As he's about to leave the street, Murphy jumps to his own door, opens it as he's passing. Oh, I, uh, I beg your pardon. Did you not? Why? Oh, 
for yes, I think so. Five twenty two already? Sure, anyway, I just feel better with money. I know how to spend. <laughs> I never had seen a hundred dollar bill before and just wanted to make sure that if it was counterfeit, I wouldn't be stuck in it. Lorraine Frazier, alias the Thomas Taylor, was the first place to cut the in. If she couldn't resist the impulse to steal, the law would have put her in prison for gambling as a prison offense. But in view of the fact that we recovered everything, she had stolen, aggregating more than $35,000 Upon recommendations of Mr. Benton and Mr. Potter, the girl was released on probation to her parents and returned to Columbus, Ohio. Shortly thereafter, she married, but two years later, during the winter, she died with the flu. Thank you, Sergeant Murphy. Ladies and gentlemen, we are specially asked that every listener to tonight's program call upon the nearest Rio Grande craft gasoline dealer and ask for a free copy of the Calling All Cars News. The new March issue is double-sized, full of extra movie and crime stories. And it tells all about the true crimes to be broadcast on future radio programs. Of special interest to every boy and girl are the many new free gifts illustrated in the Calling All Cars News. Magic police pictures, a G-gun, a detective microscope, and a complete detective outfit of many items, all given free to users of Rio Grande Crack Japanese. You will also find at every Rio Grande dealer a stock of thin hair motor oils in cans. There is something unusual about these oils. They contain no paraffin wax, and all petroleum jelly has been extracted. This means that there is no waste, bulk, or filler, as you get in other oils. It is this useless, jelly-like material which stiffens in cold weather and thins out in hot weather, or at high speed until your motor gets very little lubrication. It costs you no more to get thin clear canned oils, only 25 cents a quart for opening and 30 cents a quart for central engine. And you get only pure, concentrated oil that's guaranteed to lubricate perfectly at highest or lowest operating temperatures. Thin clear motor oils owe their success like Rio Grande cracked gasoline to a policy of greater value at the same price. Frederick Lindsley, giving you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.